Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. It's Monday. We're a little late after this, but uh, we're nonetheless trying out some new things on the show, on the podcast, on the video side, on YouTube. So we wanted to make sure we did this right. Uh, check it out on YouTube. New look, which is pretty cool. Um, we're here to break down Saturday's Ohio State game in which the Oregon Ducks went and pulled off a pretty remarkable win, 35-28. You guys have submitted us a ton of questions. Uh, obviously, with a big game like that, a huge win, a historic win, uh, it's going to create quite a buzz. There is a buzz that we haven't seen in a long time around this program, and it's generated that, that self into the podcast and the mailbag. And so we're going to answer your best questions looking back at Ohio State looking ahead to Stony Brook and looking big picture to what this win now means for the Oregon football program. Yeah, Matt, the amount of feedback and questions we got this week, is, I think it might be a record or pretty close to it. And there might have been times in the past where Oregon was playing big games, maybe a Rose Bowl podcast leading up to that. But this is this is a lot. And so I apologize because we only probably get into about a quarter of your questions or 30 of your questions today. Um, but that's the way it's going to go. And that's a good thing. That means there's a lot of interest. A lot of people want to hear our opinions and, and it means a lot of fans are really excited about what happened and I don't blame them. I think we would share that, that our enthusiasm for a season goes up drastically because of that win. I'm not saying we weren't excited, but the outlook is totally shifted. And now Oregon is right in the middle of a college football playoff push. I know we're early in the season, fourth nationally. A lot of things have changed since uh, that game on Saturday. And uh, we're going to answer a ton of questions today about that. We will start here with a question from at Drew Goley. How surprised were you by the dominance of the Oregon offensive line against the Ohio State defensive line? I'd say very. Um, you know, Ohio State defensively lost a lot of guys at linebacker, a number of key players out in the secondary. But that defensive line was at 100%, and it's a defensive line that has a bunch of guys that we think are first or second-round players in the next couple of drafts. And then they signed the two top defensive linemen in the country for the 21 class, JT Tumalau and Jack Sawyer. Now those guys played bun a bunch, but this is a team that's very, very talented up there. And I just wanted to highlight a, a bunch of players. I think the whole group played great, but re-watching the film with Jared on Sunday, Ryan Walk is somebody yeah. I feel like we have to just – we should spend some time talking about him because he's taken mm -hmm. so much crap from the fan base during the offseason about, hey, why aren't we playing these four- and five-star recruits? Why are we playing this walk-on? He's not athletic enough to play. Flat out, he dominated that game. And he dominated Haskell Garrett, who's supposed to be the best interior defensive lineman in the country, and flat out moved him around wherever he wanted to all day. Um, really, really, really impressive. I was excited to see that Oregon named its uh, players of the game and that he was the offensive line selection. That was very, very well-deserved. Um, I'll be curious to see. I don't know. Maybe he's already out. Maybe I've missed it. But the PFF grades, I have to think he's going to get one of the best grades in the country after that performance. Um, was just fantastic on run plays. And so many of those big runs were because of plays where he sealed the edge or he was out and pulling. Um, you know, I know, and he wasn't alone. I want to make that clear because I thought TJ Bass and Alex Forsyth were great. The interior was fantastic in this game and a lot better play. I think we noticed as well, Jared at tackle um, Stephen Jones and George Moore probably didn't have their best debuts, but they were really, really good in this game. Didn't allow a sack. Um, Anthony Brown was pressured a couple of times, but this was a fantastic effort against a really talented Ohio State defense. Oh, 100%. I was, this was something I was incredibly nervous about going into the game. Yeah. 
because with Haskell Garrett and Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison, like those are three dudes, national guys who are going to get a lot of credit this year and ultimately be drafted. Some of them might be first round picks. Um, and again, Oregon against Oregon's offensive line against Fresno State wasn't great. Mm-hmm. There were moments where it was OK, but Fresno State had a lot of rush on on Anthony Brown on passing downs. Oregon broke free in a couple a couple runs, but it really wasn't until the fourth quarter where things got moving. But all all day long on Saturday, Oregon's offensive line just handled Ohio State's defensive line. I can think back and think of four plays where Oregon got one to two yards. There was only one tackle for loss, and I think that was in the second quarter, right, Eric? First quarter. First quarter. Uh, it was just extremely impressive. And like Eric, like you were saying, Ryan Walk. Deserves a lot of credit. Uh, the whole offensive line does. Uh, Dawson Jaramillo, a lot of credit. They yeah. ran a lot of off-tackle things on his side. He was good in pass coverage. I thought against Fresno State he was great in uh, uh, rush blocking, but it wasn't 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 great in pass blocking. But against Ohio State he was just tremendous in both. It was a very impressive performance by the offensive line. Uh, something that should excite Oregon fans going forward. Because if their offensive line gels together like this, even with the rotations, I think this could be you know, a, a special group. I think they have certain people for certain developments. And with the rotations, if they, like I'm saying, if, they're, if they can gel and start getting things going, it could be an exciting year, especially if the running backs can stay healthy. I agree with you guys about Ryan Walk. Um, I was past some notes um, from the Pac-12 about – Alex Forsyth. Uh, I'm a voter for player of the week in the conference. And Forsyth was the player that the University of Oregon nominated for the offensive lineman of the week. Um, I thought that was interesting. Not that he didn't have a good game because he did. Um, But I I was kind of expecting Walk to be that guy because of what Eric and Jared have gone through. But there's some stats about Forsyth that are just pretty darn impressive. Um, Led Oregon with six knockdowns meaning he knocked an Ohio State defender to the ground six different times. He did not allow not only once – he didn't allow a single sack. He didn't allow a hurry or a pressure all game on, on Anthony Brown. He had a PFF passing grade of 82.3, a run grade of – a total blocking grade, excuse me, of 70.3. And he played all five – all 75 snaps. And he is not allowed now in, in two games for the Ducks – a sack, a hurry, or a pressure in 145 snaps at center this season. So I'm with you. I, I I was completely shocked, blown away, impressed. Use whatever term you want about this offensive line. And after one week of – or I guess the second week of this season, my perspective of this offensive line has drastically changed. And I think we also need to go back and – kind of tip your cap to Fresno State. Like, I think they are a lot better on both sides of the football than we were anticipating. Some of that had to do with Oregon clearly holding back some of their game plan to prepare for Ohio State. But that Fresno State win is going to come back and look very, very good for Oregon, I think, down the road. Not only will that Ohio State win as well. We'll see this weekend, big game 
Fresno State at UCLA. Yep. You're going to learn a lot there about both mm-hmm. those teams. Those are two really important opponents. This, I'm, honestly, Fresno State and UCLA, you look at Oregon's schedule. Those are two teams that are going to kind of make and break some of where Oregon ends up from a ranking perspective. Um, and then obviously the game with UCLA will play a big role in if, what, how far they can go in a college football playoff push. Last thought on this that I just wanted to share. I had the offensive line ranked the worst group after, against Fresno State. Matt ran down a lot of it. I think some of it maybe was just Fresno State being really, really good in this offensive line, kind of trying to figure some things out. Um, this last game, I ranked them or graded them as the best, gave them an A+, plus. thought they were fantastic. Very, very little things to gripe about, honestly. I mean, they had they didn't give up a sack. Oregon averaged a ton of yards on the ground. Um, and, again, one play the whole game that went for a loss. That's remarkable. That's honestly, that's fantastic. 73 snaps, one play that's not for positive yards or, or a no gain. This doesn't happen very often against a defense that talented. And I know there's a lot of criticism right now nationally about Ohio State defensive coordinator Kerry Coombs. I think Oregon's offense deserves a ton of credit for creating that dialogue and creating that that perception because Oregon dominated that football game. And you can say what you want about some of the schematic stuff they did. I think probably he did get out-schemed, and that's another tip of the cap to Oregon's coaching staff. But this offensive line dominated on the field. And play after play after play, you go watch it. And the tight ends is an extension of that. We should know DJ Johnson was fantastic. And we're actually going to talk about him in a moment here. But a lot of players went into this, and it was a fantastic day. And I don't want to you know, minimize or not mention any of the offensive linemen. I thought they were all fantastic. Next one from at go underscore putt for doe. Given all Over. the, I love it. I was going to say, Matt's going to love that one. <laughs> and by the way, that's the first time we've seen him submit a question. It's always great to see uh, new new uh, people submit questions. That's always, I think, something I love is just kind of seeing the the variety of people who submit. So thank you so much for this one. And hopefully you keep asking, and hopefully we answer this question to your liking. So you do. All right, he's he asks, given all the injuries, which next man up impressed you the most with how well they played? Hashtag odds and audibles. Thank you for using the hashtag. Again, not that there's a. Not that we're not going to answer your question or read it on the show if you don't use the hashtag, but using it makes it a lot easier to make, for me to find um, and also helps promote the program. So I appreciate that. I wrote down four names here because I think all the guys were impressive. If I had to pick one, which I will in a second here, um, I'll tell you who that is. But there was a lot of guys who stepped in and played a bunch of really good football here. Um, like, first off, maybe like, let's start with Nate Hukliani. This guy's a former walk on, played a ton of snaps. Um, played a lot of really good football. He didn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, I think that was the thing that we talked about in the in the recap show earlier. Was just like there's not these fill-ins. There wasn't a huge drop back. There weren't a lot of massive mistakes. There wasn't anything that jumps out. Nadu Kliani did not have his oh he's not on this level. He's a a former walk on. He can't play with these guys. Moments. He wasn't washed out of place. He wasn't dominated at the point of attack. In fact, he had one of the few quarterback hurries early in the game. It was on a fourth down play through the back of the end zone where I think it was Chris Olave who was targeted defended by G.J. James, um, or maybe, I forget, actually, maybe it wasn't D.J. Was that Dante Manning? It was D.J. Okay. Either way, he was huge there. And, and also, there was a pass later in the game that was deflected, and that he played a big role in that as well. So, impressed with his play. I think the player, you know, the other player that really stood out was D.J. Johnson, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I came in and filled in on the defensive line. Matt noticed it in pregame. I think he was the first one to have eyes on that and kind of working with the defensive line. Worked out, came out, made the you know the, the final sack of the game. Oregon obviously doesn't win because of his defensive plays, but very impressive he stepped in. But my pick, and maybe the pick you guys will also share, is Braden Swinson. Yeah. Um, he already was going to play a lot. You watched the first game. He made the first sack of the game. He was on the field a ton against Fresno State. Um, and I think he's going to be a guy who plays a ton regardless of if it needs to be a quote-unquote next man up or not. 
Um, super talented guy, was in on a ton of plays, very rarely made mistakes, five tackles, a sack, um, very, very active. And again, somebody who I think one of the plays that stood out from the game, Jared, that we, you mentioned was there was a play where he ran all the way up the field and brought down, I think it might have been Alave by the boundary, mm-hmm. probably ran 20 yards downfield to chase him down and bring him down. Those plays like that stand out, especially when you're looking at a guy who doesn't have a ton of playing experience. Yeah, I'd go. I had two guys. I had DJ Johnson and I had Braden Swinson. Uh, I'll go with DJ Johnson for the the next man up who impressed me the most. Um, I would like to add on Swinson. He also almost had an interception yeah. Saturday. He dropped back in the coverage, which probably should have. Yeah, he probably should have had it. It went right through his hands, but you know that's why he plays defense. Uh, so I'll go with DJ Johnson just for the fact that he had one of the most remarkable three minutes in college football that I think I've ever seen. he goes from catching a third down and three pass as a tight end for the first time all day he goes out and runs a route instead of chipping at the line that basically secures that ohio state might get the ball back with very few seconds left which they do they get the ball back later in 20 seconds and the final play of the game huh and they have to go the length of the field too that was also why that catch was so big Right. It was a huge catch. It all but basically secured the game for Oregon. And then he really secured the game for Oregon by collecting a sack. And DJ Johnson hasn't played a defensive snap in game or presumably in practice in like a year and a half. You know, we didn't see him once line up on the defensive side of the ball in fall camp or in the spring or even in this in the spring of 2020. That was when he first converted to tight end. And I thought that was just so impressive that he goes from only a tight end, shows up late in the fall camp for whatever reason, plays not great against Fresno State, misses a lot of blocks, doesn't get any doesn't get any targets, to then making arguably like the two most impactful plays of the day for Oregon's offense and defense. So I think he was the easy pick for next man up, you know, covering in place of of KT going down and just, you know, playing on both sides of the field, doing whatever it needs to take to get the game done. I, I am with you guys on Braden Swinson. Um, he's going to be in a position to potentially become a freshman All-American because of how much he's going to have to play the next couple of games. And the impact he's had already probably will force him on the field no matter what when KT gets back. You know, KT will play a, a bunch, but it's not going to surprise me if all of a sudden we see Swinson and KT on the football field at one time. Um, KT's kind of having, uh, or excuse me, Swinson's having that type of a, of a start to the season. A couple other guys for me to note, I think Keith Brown is going to be someone that's going to be next man up with Flo potentially out for a little bit. Um, Brown started in Flo's place, and I just think by natural progression, if you know his injury against Ohio State isn't anything serious, which doesn't sound like it is, um, it he should be back for Stony Brook. And honestly, with the depth at inside linebacker, I'm not going to be surprised if Oregon goes a really light workload for Noah Sewell, which is going to present an opportunity for Keith Brown to kind of really solidify himself and get him in a good position. Um, I think someone else that's kind of flown under the radar a little bit on the defensive side of the football is Bennett Williams. Like, he tackles in space in one-on-one situations remarkably. And 
I think he had like four or five tackles in the first like three possessions of that game against Ohio State. And I want to say all of them were in one-on-one situations where if he doesn't make the tackle, the Ohio State receiver is going to get a big gain um, or a, a, a moderate gain could have turned into a huge plus yardage type situation. So I, I think Bennett Williams has put himself in a really good position. Um, I've, I agree with Swinson, and I think Keith Brown is going to be another one of those guys that's going to also see some next man up mentality. Yeah, I think you'll 100% see Swinson and KT together. We saw that yeah. a little bit against Fresno State early before the injury for, for KT. Um, that'll, that, I think that's uh, – I mean, I'll be curious to see, honestly, like the challenges here of – Kind of picking and choosing when KT yeah. back. Like I think Swinson might earn himself, and we should know Mace Funes is dealing with an injury. We'll, we'll get to some injury stuff in the next question, so I don't want to dwell into that too much. Maybe he's some. Maybe he ends up playing a lot, regardless of who, where KT is and what his. I think. I think. I'm not even saying maybe. I think he will um, play a ton. Um, totally on Bennett Williams. That's a that's a great pick. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he wasn't a next man up fill-in guy for a injury, but he has been someone who stepped in because of suspension. Um, and I think he. I don't think he's going to come off the field a lot. He was fantastic. And, and I think just the one thing, again, you watched on rewatch, and I think we made this point, Jared, like how many times did we see a missed tackle by an Oregon defender really cost them? It really didn't happen aside from Brandon Dorless missing a tackle right. on the backfield. That was that, the only one I could think of. Yeah, that one was pretty glaring. But other than that, it was a really nice day. And Bennett out in space was fantastic, as were a lot of Oregon secondary players. McKinley had some amazingly effective <laughs> contact plays, breaking up a couple passes and – and it wasn't just Bennett out there making tackles on an island. A lot of Mikhail Wright's tackles were one on one on Chris Holave. Had to bring him down. The same thing with the other corners: DJ James, Triquest Bridges, and, and Dante Manning. Really impressive day from the secondary in terms of making tackles and, and again keeping everything in front of them. Fans aren't going to like seeing almost 500 yards given up, but that was part of the game plan. I mean, they didn't want to give up 500 yards, but they were going to take that because they only allowed 200. Or sorry, they only allowed 28 points. All right. Mention it here. We're going to jump into an injury question from at Hodges underscore Ryan. Realistically, with Stony Brook coming up, what do you do with your banged up guys that could suit up for this game? Do you completely rest them, play them the first half? Other, um, I will note we were recording this a couple of hours prior to Mario Cristobal's press engagement on Monday morning. Um, we do not have updates at all from the situation with Kevon Thibodeau on what's going on with Justin Flo, possible availability with either one. Again, we mentioned this on the Saturday wrap-up show. Um, a lot of national media meant we only got one question each. Matt and I got each got a question. Usually we get two to three post-game. Um, we would have followed up and asked about some of the injury stuff, but it was hard not to ask about some bigger picture stuff in the moment. So we'll get more information here, and probably honestly after you listen to this, and I'll maybe change some of this. But let's just assume those guys are, are not available. For Stony Brook and are not going to play because I just don't think it makes sense to play either Kevon Thibodeau or Justin Flo in this game. Um, how would you handle that though? I mean, like, like say they are clear. I mean, you, would you? Like, let, let's just actually never mind. Let's pretend like they are clear because we don't have clarity on this. Matt, would you would you play them? Like, would you play them hardly at all if you like? Let's say Flo and Thibodeau are like, yeah, they're they're ninety percent. Would you? Play no, them? no. Flo Thibodeau do not play against Stony Brook if they're miraculously healthy enough to play, which I don't think they will be. Um, I I don't think I would play. Mace Funa against Stony Brook if, if his injury is anything serious. Um, anyone that suffered some kind of injury that's beyond the normal bumps and bruises um, that comes with playing a normal football game, I would not play. Arrest uh, them against Stony Brook, get them healthy for league play a week later at home against Arizona. The, 
Oregon should be able to go like even a, a more vanilla based offense and defensive game plan than what they showed week one against Fresno state against Stony Brook and still win this football game. It, it might be a case where it's 28 to seven and that's what they do for a win, but no one's going to care that, you know, Oregon only won by three touchdowns against Stony Brook because in six weeks they're undefeated still. And they're going to UCLA as a top five team in the country. Like no one's going to look back at that Stony Brook game and say, Oh, well, they, only won by 21 points. Who cares? Like, get your guys healthy. Don't play them unless they are, you know, about as near as possible to be 100%. Yeah, I think the Stony Brook game is going to turn into what most people wanted the Fresno State game to turn yes. into. Yeah. Where the second half is uh, is all about just let's play the young guys. Let's see what they got, including, you know, Ty Thompson. Just to, you know, throw them out there and let them learn, give up a touchdown, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I'd agree with you, Matt. Uh, if KT and, and Justin Flo are just miraculously healthy enough to play in, in next week's game, I wouldn't wouldn't play them. Let them rest even more. You don't need them. Uh, you may not even need them against Arizona, but that would be the best game to bring them back if they are healthy. And for for everybody else, Mace probably not, but for everybody else, I'd, I'd roll with your big guns for the first half. Evaluate where you are specifically. And then go from there. You can either let the young guys try to shine or keep it keep it steady with keeping in whoever's healthy enough to go out there. But this is a game where you just don't want to take any extra measure where someone might get hurt. You know, if you can come out of there coming back, no one's ever completely healthy, but hypothetically completely healthy, then it's a win. 100 percent What's the status, Jared, of your life savings? <laughs> Gone. God. How much I kept on that someone's collected? Yeah, it's tough. That's tough. Yeah, it's, it's tough. We're strictly like ramen noodle and water until I can't put the water anymore. And then we're we're done. You learned a good lesson though. Don't bet your life savings on a podcast. Doesn't no, yeah. yeah. Don't always go all in. Yeah, I know. At Fates Matt. <laughs> By the way, those listening maybe didn't catch. I'll just Matt, last week, Jared bet his life savings came on Thibodeau at play. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. It was, it was not real. I mean, I hope. Hypothetically I to you guys. Yeah, you I don't know. If, was there, a, was there a, 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 like a sports betting book that had the odds of KT playing? I don't even know if that, that was out there. Probably not. Probably not. But alas, next one from at Fat Fates Matt. What does this Oregon victory tell us about the state of Oregon football right now? Conversely, where do you see the Ohio State season headed? Are we that great, or perhaps are they less than advertised? Not sure we fully know the answer to this question yet. Hashtag odds and audibles. Thank you, Matt, for this one. Another new question asker, I think. At least we haven't read one on his show, I don't believe, from Matt. So appreciate that. And thank you for the hashtag. Um, I mean, Oregon's program has certainly elevated itself to a degree here. I mean, I think recruiting, I'll be curious to see what the recruiting fallout from this is. Um, there were, I think, on, you know, there were some people that saw the, you know, Oregon players kind of making some notes to some Ohio State recruits on campus. And um, I think notably there was a couple of Ohio State recruits that tweeted a couple of things out afterwards that were kind of interesting. So just from a recruiting perspective, and I think we're going to record a recruiting podcast this week. So um, be looking out for that. So we'll get into that more. But I think in terms of where the program is at right now on the field, this tells me that this is a program that's just not that, that is going to be up for whatever, and they're going to be up for the big moments. I think we kind of already felt that, with the exception of the Iowa State game, 
is kind of an outlier. There just hasn't been a game where Oregon has showed up and, and not looked competitive since 2019. Yeah. 2018 was Mario's first season. He's building culture, still kind of working through kind of what the program needs to be. None of the coordinators that are currently here now were on that were on that team. We've seen a shift, I think, and this team just feels like, and I think it starts with the culture and the process and the way they handle everything. I, I just go into I, 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 and I'll just say this for myself. Um, we've already eaten crow, but I will not be predicting Oregon to lose by three scores again, maybe ever. Like maybe if it's an Alabama in a college football playoff game or something like that, maybe, probably not. I just don't think I look at this team under Mario Cristobal and think they're they're going to get blown out or that they're going to underperform or not be there for the moment. I think that was the thing that stood out to me was this was a humongous moment. And Oregon was down key players in a stadium with 100,000 people on the road, um, halfway across the country, favored, you know, not favored. They were underdogs by two scores. And yet they looked like the better team, the more prepared team, the more confident team. Um, and I think that to me was what stood out the most from this game. I think it, it's a little bit of both. Um, I do think Oregon is legit. After seeing what they did, the personnel that they had, and the venue that they played in against the opponent that they faced, I, you can't walk away and think they're not a playoff contender. Like, that's just not possible. So I, I am buying the fact that Oregon is really good and a playoff should be the expectation now, even if it's the four seed, you know, you need, you need to be in that discussion at the end of the year. Um, I do think there are some worries that you have to wonder about Oregon um, and both games this season from a per play perspective, they've been outgained. Um, Fresno State had 5.1 yards per play to Oregon's 4.9. And then against Ohio State, uh, the Buckeyes had 7.2 yards per play to Oregon's 6.9. So they are giving up uh, more yardage than their opponent. Um, I also think Ohio State probably had more scoring opportunities than Oregon did in that game Mm -hmm. and just didn't execute as well. Um, or you have to give your credit to Oregon there. I mean, they, they were a big factor in that, you know, but in theory, you know, that could have been a game where if they just kicked field goals instead of going for it on fourth down, Oregon loses that game by three points or by two points. Um, you know, so Oregon had opportunities to get off the field. They took advantage of them, but Ohio state left points on the board. They had more scoring opportunities. So, you know, I, I think if they played again, Ohio State probably would still be the favorite, um, but it wouldn't be 14. It might be only one or two points. Um, but that's why you play games. And in a one-game playoff situation, Oregon was by far the better football team. I think the fact that they dominated an Ohio State team in the trenches is phenomenal for the long-term prospectus of this Oregon team. Um, C.J. Verdell right now is – doing yeoman's work on the ground and having a much better season through two games than I was anticipating. I mean, he's averaging 6.2 yards per carry. He's got three touchdowns. He's got 235 yards of rushing and he's only had two negative yardage plays or he's only lost two yards all season uh, so far on 38 carries, which is pretty remarkable. So, you know, I, I think the upfront Oregon is a lot better than we anticipated, and that's probably going to be why this Oregon team is going to be legit and I think make the playoffs. So the the state of the Oregon 
program question has already been answered. So I'll go with, you know, where is Ohio State's season going to go from here? You know, I, I kind of I looked at their schedule real quick. Their next three games are kind of cakewalks, sleepers, Tulsa, Akron, and Rutgers. I mean, no one really excites you there. Then it gets into the Big 12, or excuse me, the Big 10 conference slate. Um, they host Penn State, which is a good thing for, uh, for Ohio State. They head to Nebraska, which could be a tough test. And again, it's Nebraska. And then they finish the year with both Michigan teams uh, at, at the big house in Michigan to end the season. And then they host Michigan State. So if you look at this, if you look at Ohio State just as a, a general perspective, this is a team that could only have one loss in the end of the year. And that just to Oregon, that Penn State game is going to be big. Um, I do think they could pull it out because it's at home. And I, I don't think Penn State has the offense to keep up with Ohio State. But if that hypothetically happens and Ohio State goes 11 and 1 and Oregon loses a game later on in the season, that's still, you know, Ohio State's going to be a top five team with that one loss because their one loss is going to be to potentially a top five team. Okay. So I think it's important to look at that perspective as well. This Ohio State team is, is good. It's really good. Uh, a lot of people thought it was elite. Maybe it's not elite. Maybe it's just very good. And I think a lot of people thought Oregon was a good team. Well, I think after Saturday, we can put them into that very good category. I think this year in college football, there is a elite team, one singular. It's Alabama. They're just going to be the elite team all year long. And that's just how it's going to go. So I would think Oregon, to answer the question, is better than advertised. I think Ohio State isn't as good as advertised, but still a very good football team. Love this next one from Matt Prince Puddles here. We're going to have uh, four buyer sells. And I think people, I think everybody understands that exercise. I'm not even going to explain it. So the first one is do KT, or sorry, KT and Flo play, and it says at Arizona, but that's a home game. So versus Arizona. Um, do we buy or sell that we'll see KT? At all? Okay, let's just do them individually. Do we buy or sell that we see KT versus Arizona? Buy. 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 What about Flo? Sell. I, I don't think there's. I don't think he sees the field for a little bit. Okay. I'm also selling that. I think it's more likely we see KT for Pac-12 play early than Flo. Um, the, mm -hmm. Again, the rumors here, it's hard to know, and it, we're going to talk tomorrow soon, um, and maybe he'll give us different information, and you'll listen to this, and you'll, you can tell we were wrong. But there was a lot of people out there that were saying he was a free to – he might play. There were also a lot of people out there that said he had a, a, maybe an injury was going to cost him the whole season. So – um, you know, they're, they're, we don't know exactly what it is, but if it's the latter, um, that's a serious injury and it might take a while to see him again if we do see him this season. Um, but I don't want to report that he is out for the season because that's just a couple of things we've heard that we can't really confirm. So we'll hear what Mario has to say later. The next one is buy or sell UCLA now the biggest threat to Oregon in the Pac-12. I'm buying that all the way. Oh yeah. Major buy. I don't even, I don't I don't think, yeah. yeah. Who else is there? No one. I mean, I think Stanford, Stanford winning at USC is pretty impressive. But then the week before that, they went and got their butts kicked by Kansas right. State. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of like a negative for both schools, for USC right. and Stanford. Uh, I have zero confidence in Washington being bull eligible. Um, Jimmy Lake's talk of already, you know, like they were already playoff caliber this year was completely false. Um, Utah did not look good against BYU, even though that game was on the road. Maybe Arizona State, but right now they have not looked 
nearly as impressive as UCLA has and who they've played and who they've beaten. Right. Yeah, Arizona State hasn't played anybody this year. And Utah was surprisingly not good against BYU. They really couldn't do anything on offense. I was surprised. And, yeah, I mean, Washington is is out at this point. Uh, USC was – that's a stunning loss. Like, this wasn't even just a loss. It was just an, an embarrassment of pantsing, Eric. Hey! <laughs> Sorry, you got to debut my word, my term. That's why I'm calling it when it's an, a really embarrassing loss for a team that got pantsed. It, that was what it was for USC, man. That was that was a bad loss. So I, yeah, it's UCLA or bust. You guys realize how many teams haven't lost a game in the Pac-12 right now through two weeks? Is it three? Yeah, it's Oregon, UCLA, and Arizona State. Everyone else has already lost. It's not good. So, back, and those are conference games. So technically, you can still say all these teams are in the race, basically. But like, yeah, it's pretty clear right now to me that it's Oregon and UCLA and I think Arizona State I want to know, learn more that was actually semi-competitive with you under the V for for a little bit into the second quarter at least um so that wasn't super impressive I don't think there's really another choice here in fact the games that we highlighted as being like potential losses on the road besides from UCLA which is at Utah and at Washington neither of those teams have really looked advertised yet uh, Washington is a mess absolute mess buy or sell Oregon O-line best in the conference Best offensive line in the conference? Bye. Um, I, for whatever reason, I was reading it thinking it was national. I was going to say I might buy like a couple shares just to say that I own it, but not fully invest into it. Um, but in the conference, bye. I, I don't know. This is a tough one. I'm going to sell for right now. Uh, you can ask me in a couple weeks. I just want to see it three weeks in a row where they just manhandle the opposing front because there are a lot of juices flowing at Ohio state, big game, you know, that might've helped a little bit. Um, I just want to see it. That's all really good. But best in the conference, just give me, give me three more weeks. I'm going to take the sell too, just because Fresno state was a definite sell and Ohio state was a definite buy. You know, if you just go in terms of those two outings, they were so good against Ohio state, not very good against Fresno state. I, lean towards the Ohio State thing being what we're going to see the rest of the way. And if that's the case, then 100% buy. Um, I just want to see it a couple of weeks. And I think this week against Tony Brook, if we if we come away being like, oh, my gosh, they just ran for 300 yards and, and just dominated. No, no one ever got upfield in the backfield, et cetera. I'll, I'll even feel more confident then. But probably we make this call more after Arizona and Stanford once you kind of get into a couple conference games to kind of see. But early indications are this. this is that's not a crazy thing to say. And then final one, buy it or sell it. Tom Snee will be one of the best punters in the country at the end of the year. Prince Puddles, I love that. You're a man of my own. My, my, right, <laughs> you know your way to my heart. Uh, he said one of, he not the of. best, so I will buy. Big buy. Tommy Snee all the way. Buy it. You know, you know me, I'm not selling my Tom Snee stock. I got all of it. I've had it for four years. I had it when he was still down in, in Australia. We had never been, only been to the country on his official visit. I've been, I've had it since then. And he's honestly it, excelled this season and last season. So, yeah, I'm buying that one. Again, not his best day, day from an average perspective. There were a couple of punts that weren't his best. But he, I mean, two really, really critical punts in that one. Um, you think about early in the game, the one to pin Ohio State deep. That I think the next drive is when Oregon ends up scoring the 99-yard touchdown. And then at the end of the game, to pin um, Ohio State inside its own five again. So it makes it difficult for their their last kind of effort. Their, uh, that was 
that was pretty spectacular. Great stuff from Tom Sneak. Uh, really, really good to see an Oregon punter kind of even being able to talk about in this in this light. So big development, I think. And last one here before we get to a bonus question from at Tosh Myers. What are the four hardest remaining games for the Ducks, not counting potential postseason play? And what will the record be in those games? Hashtag odds and audibles. Figured we'd wrap up this part with some predictions. Um, four hardest games is kind of not super easy to run through here. Um, do we each want to pick four or do we just want to kind of like talk this out and figure out what we think it is? I, I think three of them have to basically be road games. I think, um, I think, all I, think four, we'll I think all of them are games. I think UCLA by far is probably the toughest, and I would still say U- Utah would be two. And then I, you know, I know that a lot of people are down and making fun of and enjoying Washington's struggles, but I still think that's got to be probably your third toughest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, it, four would probably be Stanford, just yep. because of yep. what they did against USC. I mean, I. It's not going to be a hostile, raucous crowd. I mean, shoot, there might be as many Oregon fans there <laughs> if if they don't if they don't slip up in a major way and lose to either Stony Brook or Arizona in the next two weeks. That Stanford game could feel like a true home game for Oregon because that Stanford fan base does not show out. You know, they'll come for the Oregon game because that's always a rivalry for them. But you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's fifteen thousand duck fans there that you know bay area is probably the second biggest area of, of transplant duck fans so I, I, it's not going to surprise me if that's a neutral site setting type of environment you agree yeah here? i have the same same four games i don't i mean maybe maybe colorado at home only because colorado was very frisky against texas a&m however i chalk that up to texas a&m being abysmal on offense and but those are the four games. I really don't see. I don't see any other ones where it's like, where I like I can't anticipate Oregon like just losing. I think those are the four where it's the biggest chance of Oregon losing. This is a really not exciting home slate from a Pac-12 perspective. I hate to say it, but it's Arizona. No. It's Cal who kind of competed better than I thought against TCU. That could be kind of interesting, but that's after a bye week, and I don't really to put too much thought into that being a potential loss. Colorado at home, I think, is maybe your most difficult home game, but that's purely based on a 10-7 loss they had to AM where they were in position to maybe win a, a really ugly kind of rock fight football game. And then after that, it's it's Washington State and Oregon State who've both kind of taken some lumps early. Um, not a lot. I mean, I think you're going to be kind of feeling like, man, the road games are a lot more interesting than the home games this year. And I think it's going to probably feel like a lot of these home games aren't going to be particularly competitive either. So... Yeah, I think Colorado is the only home game you maybe throw into that kind of category. Mm-hmm. But I'd still go Stanford based upon what the Cardinal did to USC. Um, you can't overlook that game now because USC came into that game, I think, 17-point favorites, and we're down 45-13 to 13 in the fourth quarter. So Oregon needs to be prepared in that one. Uh, David Shaw clearly has improved, found some way to make some improvements, or maybe that was just a great matchup. But huge, huge difference of, of a caliber of play there from the Cardinal from the Kansas State loss where they were down 24 nothing late in the fourth to USC where they're up 45-13 in the fourth. I hinted at a second ago. We do have a bonus question. This is, I think, kind of just a fun way to recap what was a really, really exciting weekend part of history. Really, really cool being a part of that. This is from at Roby FZ450. What is the best story from your guys' trip to the shoe? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. I think there's a lot of 
options, but I will also say we weren't there that long either. So, I mean, just, just to kind of lay out the, the way the weekend worked, we flew in Friday, got in, I don't know, about midnight. Jared had quite the day of travel. His first flight was canceled, and he ended up getting onto a direct flight that Matt was on that fortunately had some available seats, or else he might have been watching from his couch in Eugene. Um, the next morning was early. We just got out to the stadium at quite the Uber drive, um, and then we took in the game, and I think – I think the thing that I will note is just the walk over to the game. It was kind of fun. We actually were talking loud because that's what we do as the three of us when we're together. And uh, it sounded, I guess, like an episode of the podcast. And a guy who was walking by, was an Oregon fan in green and yellow, came by and said, are you guys the Austin Audible's podcast guys? I recognize your voices from the show. I've been listening for a while. Um, that was great listener feedback. Um, and to me, it was just kind of, it kind of validates a lot of what we've been doing, trying to cover this team that not only do people you know, take the effort to listen, but that they listen, you know, clearly enough that they hear us out in public and go, hey, those guys, I know those voices. Those guys are fun. I know who those guys are. And then make the effort to come up and, and say hi. So I, that, that listener knows who he is. And that was that I, I really appreciated that. That felt pretty good. Um, I think the other option is probably what we did right after the game. Which would yeah. be photos? <laughs> On the field? Oh, or? just taking in the shoe. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, that was, I thought that was the best part. Taking in the shoe, mm -hmm. walking walking around the stadium. Yeah, I think that was, um, from a personal standpoint, probably the best for me. Just exploring the horseshoe a little bit, going down on the field. But I'm with Eric. Um, it getting subscribers on the site is always awesome, but I don't think anything beats the Russia, you know, the euphoria of meeting someone that enjoys your work and they seek you out instead of you seeking them out to tell them that or to tell us that. I think that's like, like what Eric said, that it's just like instant gratification that our work is being appreciated. Our work is being consumed. Um, I, I think that's probably the best part is um, mingling with, with duck fans that figure out that we are who we are. Um, that happened to me a couple of times on the plane um, I, I think I bumped into someone at the stadium as well that knew me um, from voice or face, whatever. And, you know, just talking with the Duck fan that made the trip as well and hearing their appreciation of our coverage, I, I don't think you can beat that. I think that's always cool. Um, I wish we were in Columbus for a longer period of time. I think the pandemic probably, for, for my personal choice, kind of, made the case of why we were there for me for I was there for so little time um, just in and out I didn't want to be around you know going all over the place like we normally did like for the Auburn game I mean I went to like I was there two days early went to a bunch of barbecue spots I wish I could have done that um, in Columbus I plan on doing that for Labor Day weekend in in Georgia next year when the Ducks go to Georgia so you know I Pandemic played a part in it, but I think like you know, long-winded answer is just hearing and meeting duck fans that that appreciate and consume our work. Yeah, I am much too new into the uh, the duck territory game to be recognized on. on the <laughs> I think your mustache is going to go a long way. It's, it's going to get there. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to get some some notoriety. But uh, for me personally, I thought the best story was just the the entire game day experience. Um, and our and our Uber driver that was fun. Uh, we got we, we took the opportunity to get out of the Uber driver's car as soon as possible, 
and it was like little... your past five movie it was great <laughs> it was something else and uh so we took a 10 minute walk through campus um and just like that whole section going into the stadium uh going through all the tailgates was a fun experience you know we heard we've heard a lot about the shoe and just the atmosphere it provides and it it lived up to the hype um and then going down onto the field you know after the, like hours after the game it's quiet and just kind of soaking it all in and how historic of a stadium it is and how many great games have been played there and just overall it was it was just an awesome experience um, i do i do think i need to mention covering i'm not trying to brag because you guys i got the lucky assignment because i had the camera to go down on the field before the game was completely mm-hmm. over um jared and eric had to stay up to make sure the stories got up and were, were complete when the game was over and because in normal instances, all three of us would go down to the football field, but the way the game was playing out, we couldn't afford having all three of us um, away. And so I, I do think running onto the field, trying to chase the, the team to shoot the video that I put up on YouTube um, and then following them through their celebration as well was pretty cool. Like seeing – like that was not a thing last year. You win and you go to the crowd and – you thank the crowd for coming like that was not a thing last year and and because of the pandemic. And so that was pretty cool of seeing all the players like a celebrate amongst themselves and then b um, run to the crowd that where it was where the Oregon fan base was at and interact and mingle with them. And just you could see I, I think it's always cool, like when you see like the star players like Noah Sewell, like literally going into the crowd and like dapping up like people he has no idea who they are and and just enjoying the the win on both sides i think that's pretty cool um and i will say like uh jared denny of on three he had that tweet that went out about um a, a current player um telling ohio state recruits that wasn't the only one only player doing it i think it was uh max something that one of the walk-ons was, was talking about it it no, was I, Marco Gabakovic. Yeah, Marco. Um, I heard Jonah Miller. Uh, I heard a, another offensive lineman. I can't remember who he was. He was walking with Miller. That was a thing. I mean, uh, Oregon was definitely boasting themselves a little bit as they were walking off that field to fans, to recruits, to themselves, and they should. And that was pretty cool to see as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm envious that we didn't get to go down there. Jared and I stayed mm-hmm. up in the box because it was a close game. We wanted to make sure the story was had the right winner in it because that's probably pretty important. It would be weird if we published it because we went down the field and, and the wrong team was kind of <laughs> the game. So it was important to have someone up there. Um, bummed and, and, and bummed out that I didn't get to take part in that. Uh, did get Amaro Cristobal fist bump post game, which, which is always, uh, I don't know, interesting. But uh, that's a hum- humble brag for Eric uh, because he feels bad that unlike Bill, he did a good out. All right, I think that's going to do it for us here on the Autzen Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for submitting your questions. And until next week, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.